Welcome to Harvest with Greg Laurie. This TV show is all about helping you get to know God better because God loves you and God has a plan for you. And God wants to transform your life. And he's told us everything you need to know about him and life in general in this book, the Bible, the user's manual of life. So we're going to be talking about what the Bible says and what God wants to do in your life. Again, welcome and God bless you. say that I've been in a place where I feel hopeless. I read about the blind man seeing and the deaf hearing. I felt as if someone had taken a big eraser to the chalkboard. Why did this happen? Have my dreams and just erased everything and said it's all going to be different. It was so hard to watch her get weaker and weaker. God, give me arms and legs. I felt when I heard the news, I felt like I could literally die because the pain would have stopped. I knew God could do it, but he didn't. I'm not supposed to be visiting the graveside of my wife so young, you know? Does it make sense? So, does he love me? Does he hear me? And when I was searching for him, he didn't answer me. So I felt alone. Yeah. 
You know, trials and difficulties are sometimes described as storms, and for good reason. They blow in and out of our lives seemingly at random, sometimes back-to-back -back and sometimes intermittently. Some storms are more intense than others, but everyone experiences them eventually. Whether it be a broken relationship or financial problems or medical or legal issues, the effects of age or the death of a loved one, the storms of life darken our landscape, confusing and disorienting and threatening to uproot our core beliefs. But as Hebrews 6.19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In the midst of storms, we have an anchor, and that anchor is hope. Young boys dream of finding their purpose in life. What will set them apart from the rest of the pack? You know, the really important stuff, like how many free throws can I make in a row? How's my crossover step? Could I really be the three-point king someday? Jeremy Camp was no different than any other young Hoosier bound for glory. Born in Indiana in 1978, Jeremy was raised in a home that served God. What the family lacked in means, they made up for in faith. In 1999, while in Bible college, Jeremy met a young woman, Melissa Henning. My friend asked me, he said, hey, I want you to, to uh, do a Bible study with me at Palomar College. You know, and I was like, okay. And you gotta meet this girl, her name is Melissa. And she is, she's amazing. She loves Jesus, she's beautiful, it's, it's, I'm like, okay, cool. And you know, I thought, well, he's, he's into Melissa, you know, so I'm not gonna think anything. So I grabbed my guitar and we sat, you know, in this little circle of, at the school outside. And this is what really gripped me. I started leading worship and I kind of just opened my eyes, you know, at one point. And I, I looked up and she literally was, I mean, like her hands were lifted high. She's out in this, you know, the college. No. No, like, okay, are people watching me? Didn't care. It was her and the Lord. So it was almost like this moment of like, am I interrupting? I don't want to even look, because it's like, she's with Jesus right now. That's what it felt like. And so I'm kind of like fumbling around. Whoa, had to close my eyes again. <laughs> you know, I was so distracted. So at that point, something kind of in me like, whoa, she's an extraordinary person. Jeremy overcame his feelings of vulnerability and proceeded with caution. It was just a matter of time before they began dating. However, their relationship was filled with conflict, turmoil, and strain. He put those three words in his back pocket, yet in hope of using them again someday. Well, we broke up eventually. I was devastated. I was like, my whole life has just now been transformed, and I'm, I thought this was my wife, and, and now it's over. They say distance makes the heart grow fonder. Jeremy submerged himself in his music to distance his feelings. After several weeks of no communication, one day the news reached him that Melissa was in the hospital where she'd been diagnosed with cancer. You know, so I went to see her. You know, I wanted to see how she was doing. So I drove down. I was an hour and a half away. I just drove straight down. And I walked in. I looked at her, and she was just smiling. Like, you know, when I say she was 
from ear to ear, just beaming. You know, it was a, it, it was, it was a supernatural thing to be honest. It was just like, I go, how are you? Because it was kind of like shock. Like, why is she so happy? Her response that will stick with me for the rest of my life and is something that I talk about, and it'll never get old. She said, uh, "Sorry," and sometimes it really impacts me um, to the core. Um, she goes, "I'm okay," because I realize, you know, if I <clears throat> if I die from this cancer, it'd be all worth it if if one person accepts Jesus. And I remember just walking out of that room and driving home and I'm just weeping. And I'm weeping and I'm weeping because I'm just my heart. And I said something randomly as I'm crying, you know, I'm weeping and I said, you know, Lord, I was like, if she tells me she loves me, I'll marry her. Like, where, where did that come from? You know what I mean, type of, and I was kind of like, okay, you know? But I just was like, these emotions, boy. And, I think that the, the thought of that was probably was, I already said that I loved her a long time ago. So if, if there's a reciprocation, I guess, of that back, then all right, I'm in, you know? A few weeks later, she's out of the hospital. I get a phone call and she's like, can I, can, you, can I see you? So she was at home and she was going through chemotherapy. So she was in bed and just, you know, really weak from the chemo and that was just tough anyway. And I walk in, she goes, I wanna let you know that I've, I've been praying for you. I've been writing in my journal and writing these prayers for you and these prayers for your wife. She goes, I don't know why, but I always just, I, I always cared about you. But she goes, I want you to know that I love you. And uh, I just, I just do. And I realize as I'm writing these prayers, I'm, I'm praying, you know, for us. Those three words Jeremy had tucked away were the very words to bring sunshine at the brink of the storm that was soon to emerge. We got engaged. She was going through chemotherapy and she's losing her hair. You know, as a woman and losing your hair, uh, she's wearing little bandanas and hats and stuff. And I joke with her and I'd be like, hey, you're just my beautiful bald haired, brown eyed babe. You know, it was like the uh, little thing that I said to her. On October 21st, 2000, Jeremy and Melissa were married. So the wedding was just an extraordinary thing of people rejoicing, God's love, his faithfulness. And so we continued to enjoy our honeymoon. It was a very, very sweet time. She started kind of having these issues with her stomach again. And she was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what this is. I feel like it's something in my stomach's not right. I remember the thing was just like, hey, let's just enjoy ourselves right now. I'm kind of suppressing, you know, any thoughts of anything. Cause I started having that fear again, like what's happening? Immediately upon their return to the mainland, Melissa went to the doctors. After several tests, the doctors confirmed their worst fears. The cancer is all over. It's not just on the glob like it used to be. It's just, it's all over. I said, okay, well, what, you know, what do we need to do? What's the next step? And the doctor, he just goes, there's nothing else we can do. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, she has weeks to months to live. city of Roman, Paul the Apostle wrote an epistle called the Epistle to the Romans, the letter to the Romans. 
And one of the most well-known statements from that book is Romans 8, 28, where Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now this is a verse that is often quoted to anyone who's going through any kind of hardship. And it is a beautiful verse. You can look over life and there'll be times when you say, look, that really bad thing turned out to be a good thing. But that's not true of everything in life, is it? There are some things that are bad that will always be bad. They'll never stop being bad. So I don't think we always have to try to find a, a neat, tidy explanation for everything that happens because the Bible teaches that life on earth is not all there is. There is another life. We'll enter into eternity. And many of those questions will be answered. But it is true that God causes all things to work together for good. It doesn't say he makes bad things good things. It says that despite the bad things, God can bring good. Whatever you're going through, good can come out of it. You say, what kind of good? How about this? That you'll become more like Jesus. One thing people often forget is after Romans 8.28 is Romans 8.29. Paul says, we know all things work together for good of those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Then he goes on to say, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed into the image of his own dear son. See, God's end game for you is not just to make you happy, it's to make you holy. It's to not make you comfortable, it's to make you like Jesus. He wants to conform you into his image. That's the bigger picture. Sometimes we get so caught up in the circumstances of our pain that we miss the bigger picture. When we're in the midst of it, it's hard to remember that God works through our pain. That's demonstrated most powerfully in the life of Jesus, isn't it? If God could have accomplished his greatest work without causing pain to his son, I'm certain that he would have. But that's also true in our own lives. Does that mean that we skip through our trials with smiles on our faces and say glibly, pain is good? No, but when we realize that pain is necessary, that it serves a purpose, and that our discomfort is used by God. Nothing goes to waste. It sparks a sense of hope within us. It assures us that ultimately, there will be a good end to a bad story. child being born, the love that begins to consume you. In 1982, Boris and Dushka Vujicic were expecting their first child. By all indications, the pregnancy was going according to plan. The anticipation and excitement overwhelmed them. 
Not knowing the gender, they had names already picked out. Nick, if it was a boy. If it was a girl, Rebecca. Questions consumed them. Would she have blue eyes or brown eyes? Would he be left-handed or right-handed? Or be as tall as Boris someday? Would she have Dushka's sense of humor? Athletes or artists? Then, on December 4th, 1982, it was a boy. Little Nick arrived into the world, changing the lives of Boris and Dushka forever. I was born in Melbourne, Australia, and my parents were expecting their first-born bouncing baby. When I was born, it was a great shock, a tragedy. The church mourned as if someone had died. I was born without arms and legs. Boris and Dushka's questions quickly changed. They now asked God questions, such as, how could you allow this to happen? Why were there no prenatal signs? How can we raise a child with this disability? What kind of value of life would he even have? They began to grieve for several months, asking the same question over and over again. But for Nick, as a small baby, he adapted the only way he could. For me, I was just like any other baby and rolling around and playing with my toys with my foot and, and just getting involved as much as possible, chewing on things, you know, at times. And I had a pacifier, and just like anybody else, I just love life. Adapting at home was one thing. However, life for the three of them could not be lived this way. Keeping him sheltered was not the solution. It was around the age of five or six where I noticed that, you know, people would definitely start staring at me, and it wasn't because I was good looking. Boris and Dushka could not hide him forever. So the brave decision to enter him into a modern world with no arms or legs was a difficult decision. Nick's life would be on display for the world to watch with shock and intrigue. The biggest wake up to my life was my first year of school where kids would look at me and not know what to do with me. Some would laugh, some would stay away, and sometimes I would get so teased that I would find myself hiding in a garden at my public elementary school. My parents always said, God loves you. And I heard my dad talk about God's love. But for me, it was very difficult to believe in a hope, in a plan, or any future. Life can be unfair. Circumstances beyond our control. Nick's life was outside the boundaries of comprehension. With each passing day, month, and year, his life became harder. Obviously because he had no limbs, but even more so mentally as he fell into a state of depression and loneliness. Nick felt hopeless as he dealt with the cruelty of life and the people in it. And I remember at school coming home and telling them that they called me an alien, that I, I'm nobody and, and no one likes you, Nick. You can't play. And, and I knew I couldn't do everything that everybody else could do. I, I couldn't ride a bike and I couldn't keep up with their swimming and I couldn't go on the field of soccer as much as I wanted to and I tried to. I knew I could never do what everybody else could. And I'm like, well, wait a second. If I can't do what they do and I don't have what they have, who am I? What happened? And I asked my mom and dad, what happened? And they said, only God knows. And I asked God, what happened? And he didn't answer me. 
And day in and day out, as these voices became louder and louder, I would try putting on a, a brave face at school, pretend it wouldn't hurt. But I would be up all night crying, praying, God, give me arms and legs, give me arms and legs. And he wouldn't give it to me. So if I put my hope in God and God's not responding, what do I put my hope in? Boris and Dushka eventually stopped asking God the questions of the past, and they began to praise him for the life of Nick, and they loved him unconditionally, teaching him of God and his goodness in spite of the limitations. But it was difficult for Nick to comprehend this. He was still so young, but his life was full of despair and disillusionment. The depression consumed him to the point of wanting his life to end. I don't want this pain anymore. I can live maybe for a little bit, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't see myself going any more beyond this school, not getting a job and not going to university and what's there for me. So I might as well end it now. I'm a burden to everyone now. So I decided to ask my dad to fill up the bathtub with some water and I said, I just want to relax. And I knew what that water represented. It was the end of my pain. It was the end of hell for me. I just wanted out. So I got in the bathtub and I asked Dad to shut the door. I was trying to psych myself up. Come on, you can do this. You have to do this. Come on, Nick. You can't, you can't just play around like this. This is it. you got to do it. I turned over and to my amazement, I had a, a visual in my head of seeing my mom and my dad crying at my grave and wishing they could have done something more. And that was enough for me to stop. I realized my parents didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve that lifetime of pain. I can't explain to you in words how it feels where every day you wake up, you know what's coming. And it's hell. And you're alone. It's like a dark room and there is no way out. There was no hope. There was no hope. Listen to this. The Bible tells us that Jesus wept, but he wept also at the tomb of Lazarus. As he saw the people mourning, he saw them crying. We simply read those two words, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Well, I think one reason he wept was he saw the horrific pain that death brought into the world. Even though Jesus knew in a moment he was going to raise Lazarus again from the dead, he also knew that it was a tragic thing that man had to die. This was never part of God's original plan. God wanted us to live forever, never aging, never sick. So he wept with those that wept. But maybe Jesus wept because he knew poor Lazarus was going to have to leave heaven and come back to earth. But listen, I want you to know when you're going through hardship, Jesus weeps with you. Jesus knows what you're going through. He's walked in your shoes. He's breathed your air. He's lived your life. And he died your death. And he rose again to bring us hope. But as you go through anguish and pain, Cry out to God and know that He, in effect, cries with you.
Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question, have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I, I think so, I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, Maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You could pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you, at no charge, something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, Congratulations, and welcome to the family of God. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Johnny told me I'm my happiest when I'm performing. But sometimes Cash gets into trouble. You know, he's the kind of guy Walked into a room, everybody turned around. Because Johnny Cash was Johnny Cash. There was not one person that didn't respect Johnny Cash. He sort of lived in his own atmosphere. His unapologetic attitude. That's what made Johnny Cash cool. He was my hero. For all the right reasons and all the wrong reasons. He surely had to think back and say, was it all worth it? We were all young and wild and crazy. How crazy were you? Oh, as crazy as you can get. He was darkness and light living in the same body and one fought against the other. He wanted to be the biggest thing in the world and he became the biggest thing in the world. And then he stepped back and he said, that's not all there is. There's no lonelier place on earth for a man to be than separated from God. He faced himself, he faced his temptations, he faced his worldliness and came out wanting to be right with God. It's a biblical precedent that God uses complicated people.
that's all fleeting. As fame is fleeting, so are all the trappings of fame. Do you have any regrets about what you've done? I forgave myself, and God forgave me, I figured I'd better do it too.